0: It's any bigger, we're gonna need a bigger stage. Pretty awesome worship, though, huh? Amen. amen, amen. Well, this man walked into a public library and he asked the woman librarian, Do you have the book entitled Man, Master of Woman? The librarian replied, The fiction counter is to your left. <laughs> Some of you might want to think about that. Well, this morning as we continue our study in the book of Ephesians, the Apostle Paul wants to address and talk about a very important question. How do you know? How do you know what a person believes? And Paul gives us the short answer, actually, this morning, which is by what they do, by their behavior by their actions. So I've entitled the message this morning, Are You Living Up to Your Name? Are You Living Up to Your Name? Father, I thank you for each person here. I thank you for the worship. God bless them, Lord. Willing to use their gifts and talents. and Lord, if we are believers and you've given each one of us gifts and talents, may we use those for your glory. So I thank you for the worship team. And now, Lord, we're going to look at your word. Your word can be very powerful. Your word can set us free. Your word can break chains. I ask, Holy Spirit, that you would come and breathe a faith, a fresh faith, about the power of your word and what it can do. I ask that you would fill me, that you would truly fill me from the soles of my feet to the crown of my head, because we do not need a word from man. We need a word from you. So I just ask that the words that I would speak would be clear and that they, above all, would be truth, your truth. So I thank you what you're going to do now in the next several minutes as we look at your word. And I just praise you again. I thank you for each person here. Now bless them, Papa. Now bless them. and I praise you in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Has it ever occurred to you that you are the only Jesus most people will ever see? Just let that thought sink in just for a moment. You are the only Jesus most people will ever see. Most of the non-believers are not going to come through these doors are any church doors. So you're it. I'm it. It's showtime. And the real question is, what do people see when they see us. And this is exactly what Paul wants to talk to us about this morning. So if you have your Bibles, you can turn with me to Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 1. And Paul writes, therefore, and always we have to ask ourselves, why is therefore? And it always refers back to the previous, what was written before. And in this case, Paul is talking about chapters 1, 2, and 3. And if you remember chapters one, two, and three, just to, you know, kind of give you the big picture of what it was about, those chapters, the big picture is this, Paul is just amazed at the love and the grace that God demonstrates to a sinful humanity, and in particular, believers. In fact, the centerpiece of God's love, the centerpiece of God's grace is this, Skip, can you put up the picture That is the centerpiece of the love of God, of the grace of God. And may you and I never, never recover from that and what Jesus did for us. Paul then writes Therefore, I, a prisoner for serving the Lord. When Paul is writing this letter, he is in a Roman prison cell. He is being persecuted because of his faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And may his tribe increase. Because it's going to happen to us here. It is going to happen to us here. And may we be willing to stand up for Jesus. Therefore, I, a prisoner of the Lord, beg you, now watch this, to lead a life worthy of your calling, for you have been called by God. Paul's message could not be clearer. Carrying the name Christian Follower of Jesus Christ is a great, great privilege, and it is a tremendous, tremendous responsibility. Who I am must determine how I live. Who I am, who you are, must determine your actions, your life, your behavior. Chuck was an... 18-year-old kid decides to enter the Marines. He had spent five grueling weeks in Marine boot camp in South Carolina. During the last week of Marine boot camp, the recruits were required to to crawl under rolls of barbed wire with live machine gun fire, just right, you know, being sprayed blazed above their heads. Can you imagine that? And suddenly, as Chuck is going through the barbed wire with this machine gun fire just blazing above his head, he freezes. He begins to sweat profusely. His fingers dig into the soft red clay of the Carolina soil as panic sweeps over his body. And as this is happening to him, his buddy comes up next to him and he says, Chuck, man, get a hold of yourself! You're a Marine. Act like one for Pete's sakes. Chuck's buddy's message couldn't be clearer. Chuck, who you are, you're a Marine. Act like a Marine. Be a man of courage. Here's what's at stake, by the way. Let me just give you an example of how important it is that who we are measures up to how we live. A lot of you know that I struggle with high blood pressure and And if my wife Susan were here, she could testify to the truth of this. She's with the kids this morning. But you can ask her. This isn't one of these preacher stories, all right? And so my GP five years ago sends me to a cardiologist. And Susan and I, we go to the cardiologist. He takes my blood pressure. It's high. Nothing shocking there. We talk for a while. And after we finish talking, he says, you know what? Here's what I'm going to do. Frank, you need to take two new blood pressure medications besides the one you're taking. And then he looks at me up and down, and he says, you're fat. Thank you for that information. You need to lose about 25 or 30 pounds, and you need to get more exercise. No kidding, Jack. Now, Susan, my wife, who is known on occasion to speak her mind, was about ready to launch out at this guy. For two reasons. Number one, he was extremely arrogant. He thought he was God, which is not unusual for a doctor, okay? But we'll pass by that one. But more than that, he was condescending. He was condescending because he found out that I was a pastor. And he was making all these kind of digs at religion and Christianity and whatnot. But the thing that really got to Susan is the doctor himself. You see, he looked like a beached whale. No, I'm serious. He had a stomach out to here. It was hanging over. And when he walked, he waddled. And quite honestly, no, it was hard to take the guy seriously. It really was hard to take this guy seriously. You see, who this guy was, a cardiologist, did not carry out, it was not consistent with his behavior, with his life. He was fatter than I was. I mean, if this guy really isn't that concerned about taking care of his heart, why should I, right? Why should I be concerned about taking care of my heart if he's not concerned about taking care of his heart? I had a professor, Howard Hendricks, in seminary. and Hendricks was fond of saying this. Men, if your Christianity does not work in the home, please do Jesus Christ a favor and do not export what you have. Christianity in this country is being destroyed. Christianity in this country is being destroyed. And it's not because of the atheists. It's not because of the Richard Dawkins. Christianity is being destroyed because of the many people who call themselves Christians. Followers of Jesus Christ and yet their life hardly looks anything like Jesus. And let me tell you, this is an extremely serious issue, because Jesus says in Mark chapter 9, it would be better, it would be better if a millstone was tied around your neck than you cause a person to stumble over me. It would be better for a millstone, let it sink in to be tied around your neck, my neck, if I were to cause someone to stumble because of my lifestyle. This is serious business. You and I, if we call ourselves followers of Jesus, Christian, we must live up to our calling. It is an incredible, incredible responsibility Well, now that we're all sufficiently convicted, the Apostle Paul is going to move on to specifics. He's going to tell us specifically how we should be living our lives as a believer, how we should be acting. So let's look at Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 2. Paul says this, always be humble and gentle, better meek. Both Greek words, by the way, virtually mean the same thing, humble and meek. It means to absolutely, in the biblical sense, be surrendered to the living God. Means hands up. Remember, I asked you to do that a while ago? Wanna try it? Some of you are a little, especially the guys are like this. Now, some of this you know thinks that, you know, this means in worship we should be doing this, and that's great. But that's really not what we're talking about here. We're talking about a heart. We're talking about a heart that is fully surrendered and submissive to the living God. And there's no better example of that, of course, than Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ, on his final night on planet Earth, spent his last several hours in this place called the Garden of Gethsemane. If you read the Gospels, you will find out that three times he prayed to the Father. He said, Father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me, What Jesus was asking the Father to do is, if there's any other way that humanity can be saved, if there's any other way that humanity can be brought back into a relationship with us, the Godhood, then let it be so, let this cup pass from me. I mean, Jesus Christ, the scriptures say, was under such tremendous pressure, under such tremendous stress, that literally the capillaries in his forehead began to constrict so much they broke. And the blood in his forehead began to mingle with the sweat. And he sweat drops of blood. You see, Jesus Christ on the cross, skip if you have that picture again. Jesus Christ on the cross, he was going to experience hell. The Father was going to withdraw from him and turn his back on him for the first time and the only time. Hell itself would be unleashed on him. Satan and the demons would attack his body in a grotesque manner. You're just seeing a little visual of it. I mean, they were unleashed on him and they were also unleashed on his mind. Darkness completely invaded his soul. You know what blows my mind? It's Jesus. I mean, he sweat drops of blood. Not the cross itself, but the results of it the complete absence of the father and you know most of us most people hardly even notice the relationship with the father is so surface no listen to me so life, they don't even realize they have so little life within them and you know what the result is we chase created things Things that do not have life in themselves. And you know what? Anything that is created is subject to the law of diminishing returns. Did you know that? Do you know what the law of diminishing returns is? Let me give you an example. I remember when I first started drinking. I remember the first time I had one beer. I was drunk. I said, whoa, this is is amazing. One beer. Well, guess what? Pretty soon one beer didn't do it. Then I had two beers. And then three beers and then four beers, and then five beers, and guess what? Pretty soon you're in bondage. That's the law of diminishing return. By the way, relationships work that way. You ever watch Hollywood? You know, they think, I, you know, there was so-and-so, and and it's going to be awesome with so-and-so. I I now have this person with me. Guess what? Two years, they throw them away because they're boring. They go to the next one. Everything is subject to the law of diminishing returns. Everything. And it will lead ultimately to disillusionment and bondage. And that's the reason why most people are so profoundly empty. There's only one thing where that's not true of the law of diminishing return. And that's the living God himself. Isn't it something you can pursue God, you can pursue him, you can pursue him, and you can pursue him. And the deeper you go, the more and more life you get, the more life you get, and the freer you get. Not the more bondage you get, but you get freer. And I want you to say, well, what's the point? The point is this. Jesus Christ in the Garden of Eat, I mean, in the Garden of Gethsemane, he knew that if he ended up on that cross, he was going to experience hell for you and me, and yet he did it. And you know why he did it? Because he said, "You know what, Papa, not my will, not my will, but your will. That is incredible. Faith, because he knew that the Father's plan is always the best plan. And the Father's plan, even though he was going to go through hell itself, he knew it was a good plan, and it would turn out for his good. Now that, my friend, is faith. And that is humility, and that is meekness. We're talking about God himself, Jesus Christ, and the two distinguishing, defining characteristics of Jesus are humility and meekness. Let me ask you a question. If I were to go to someone who knew you really well, and I were to ask them, give me two defining characteristics of you, what words would they come up with? What words would they come up with? Would it be humility? Would it be meekness? You see, these should be. Paul leads out with these two words. What the world is waiting to see is a faith that, like Jesus Christ, demonstrated in the Garden of Gethsemane ending up on the cross. That is the defining characteristic or two characteristics of a Christian. Humility and meekness. Total surrender to the living God. You may not understand why he's saying what he's saying in the word. But you're going to say, I'm going to believe it. I'm going to trust in it because I know, I know that Papa is good and his plan is always the best plan, not only for you, but for his kingdom. Is everybody tracking with me on that? It is so absolutely incredible. All right, I want to move to the challenge. I want to spend a little time on the challenge. So Paul says this in the last half of Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 2. He says, be patient with each other, making allowances for each other's faults because of your love. Oh, there's that patience thing again. Isn't that funny? Humility, meekness. The next defining thing that Paul says ought to define your life and my life is patience. Would someone say, oh, wow. When they think of you, they go, that's an incredibly patient person. Is that what people would think? Not for too many of us, would they? You know, patience, when it comes to the Bible, it really means long-suffering. And I don't know if you've noticed this, but as you're reading the Bible, and it's talking about patience or long-suffering. It never has anything to do with things. Did you notice that? You're never called to be patient with your car. You're never called to be patient or long-suffering with a thing. Patience and long-suffering always has to do with people. You know why? Because God tells us something very profound there. People matter, things don't. People matter, things don't. You know, there was this uh, trucker in... He went into this uh, diner, twenty-four hour diner, and it was late at night. And he goes in, and there's not too many people there. And he sits down in one of the booths, and uh, he orders, you know, what he wants. And uh, as the waitress is coming out, suddenly there's these three guys who had come in with a Harley Davidson motorcycles, and uh, they come swaggering into the diner, and they stop where the trucker is, and The first guy, the the first motorcycle guy, grabs the trucker's hamburger and begins to eat it. The second motorcycle guy grabs a fistful of French fries, and he begins to eat those French fries. And the third motorcycle guy, you know, takes his coffee and begins to drink his coffee. The trucker just slowly gets up from his table, grabs the check, goes to the cashier, plunks down the money, and then he walks out. And he drives off. And as he's driving off, the waitress watches it. And she watches him drive off into the night. After that, the waitress walks up to where the three motorcycle guys are. And one of the motorcycle guys goes, he wasn't much of a man, was he? And the waitress goes, well, apparently he wasn't much of a truck driver either because he just ran over three motorcycles outside. (laughs) Not the patience exactly that Paul had in mind. (laughs) Patience is not an easy thing. In fact, Paul tells us what is the motivation for patience? Do you see it? What is it? It's love. The motivation for being patient with a pain in the gluteus maximus, and they may be sitting next to you, is love. Is love plain and simple? Love, by the way, is not oceans of emotions. Love is a verb, it does something, it does something good. It does something beneficial for the person. In fact, genuine biblical love wants the person that you're to be patient with to win. Wouldn't that be something in a marriage if both people wanted the person to win? Vincent Lombardi. Skip, do you have his picture? Vincent Lombardi, of course, is the legendary coach of the Green Bay Packers. And of course, everybody's excited about football right now. We're in the playoffs and whatnot. And Lombardi was probably one of the greatest coaches ever. And one day, a reporter asked Lombardi this question Mr. Lombardi, Coach Lombardi, can you tell me what it takes? Can you tell us what it takes to win, to have a winning football team? Lombardi's surprising answer was this. Listen to what Lombardi said. There are a lot of coaches with good ball clubs who know the fundamentals of the game and have plenty of discipline, but they still don't win the game. Now listen to what Lombardi said next. If you are going to win, if you are going to play together, As a team, you have got to love one another. You have got to love each other. The difference between mediocrity and greatness is the love that these guys have for each other. Skip, can you put up the picture? Not something you would expect of football players, would you? Not something that you would expect. Of football players. Love. You know, it is not easy to love. Look at the person next to you. It might be your spouse. Ten to one, that person's a human being. <laughs> just a just a wild guess, not really a prophet, but just a wild guess. And guess what? You know what that means? That person's fallible. That person makes mistakes. That person can create pain in your life. And yet you are to be long-suffering with them. Do you know why the world has such lousy relationships overall? Because we're lousy lovers. In fact, I'm going to tell you something. The world can't love. The world who does not know Jesus Christ does not have the ability to love because, you see, all they have inside themselves is the old man, the old nature, and the old nature is selfish. It just wants the best for itself. So they can't truly love in the biblical sense. You know, I told you last week, the Christian life is not difficult. The Christian life is impossible. Why? Because it's the supernatural life. The Apostle Paul says it this way. I just want to remind you again. Watch this now. Let's get put it up. But the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. Love. Joy. Peace. peace, Patience. Kindness. Goodness. Gentleness. Faithfulness and self-control. Do you know, by the way, look at these fruit right here. Do you know for every problem that you have, what you really need is a corresponding fruit? Challenge you this afternoon to read Luke 11. You know why? Luke 11 says that, you know, that we are to ask, seek, and knock, and keep on ask, seeking, and knocking. And it talks about how, you know, we aren't so good, but the Heavenly Father's good. And if you really ask him, you know what he's going to give you? The Holy Spirit. That's what it says. He's going to give you the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit produces love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. You can't produce it. I can't produce it. Only he can produce it. And I don't care. You think about a problem that you have. You have a weight problem. How many here have a weight problem? Food problem. What do you need? You need self-control. I mean, just go through it. How many of us have a loud voice and are argumentative? What do you need? Gentleness. or pate, do you see what I'm saying? How many of us are just lazy and don't like to do anything good for anybody? Well, see, you need a, a dose of kindness and goodness. Do you see We can just go right on through the thing. No, it's amazing. So, the key is to live a supernatural life. So, now you're going to leave here, and guess what? Satan's going to attack you. You're going to go home, and you're going to be with your spouse. And your spouse is going to say something to you that's probably not very nice, and and, and it's going to hurt you. And what do you want to do? You want to lash out, you want to launch into it. How many think that's going to solve the problem? No, see, it's not going to solve the problem, it's only going to make it worse. And see, here's the challenge. I'm going to challenge you again. There is nothing more important than prayer in your life, in my life. You know, Paul said. Remember, I said last week, "Pray without ceasing." You're, that means that I'm in to be constant communication with the Father, with Papa, and I have direct access because of the blood of Jesus Christ. I can constantly be in communication with God. You know, people say, "Well, you don't understand, Pastor. I'm just busy at my work." You don't think you need? You don't think you need supernatural? Fruit of the Spirit at your work, you bet your bottom dollar you do. And so see, when I'm in the thick of it with Susan, if I got a lick of brains, which I don't often have, no, no, I stop and I say, Lord, I can't do this. I just need patience right now. Help me to love my wife. Help me not to lash back. Help me not to lash back. Help me to love her. Help me to want her to win. Now, you can pray this. while. Do you know what you can pray while you're talking to somebody? Right now, I'm praying as I'm talking to you. Lord, help me to remember what I'm supposed to say next. It's a beautiful thing. And you know what? When you do that, all of a sudden, the Holy Spirit takes over. And see, instead of being a messenger of death, which so often we are, our mouths unleash hell and we're messengers of death rather than messengers of life. Which are you more often than not? A messenger of death or a messenger of life? To be continued next week. Father, now we're getting down to rubber meets the road what it really means to be a follower of Christ. And it is supernatural. We can't do it. And I pray now, even Holy Spirit, as you're moving, as you are moving, that we would begin to raise our hands to you in our hearts and say, Lord, Lord, You must increase and I must decrease. From the moment we hit the floor in the morning, may that be our prayer. I pray that Bethlehem Community Church will truly be a spirit-filled church. That we will be ministers of life and not ministers of death. Have your way in us now as we sing this final song, I ask in Jesus' name, amen.